0: Everyone runs away from pain, dodging the truth it comes with. But you are done with limiting your greatness in the shackles of fear. You see fuel in the fire. You taste ripe fruit in real answers. You move to the drums with wild expression. Enter from pain to gain. The podcast about identifying pain so you can ultimately gain health and wealth. Because without identifying a mountain, how can you climb it? Here's your host. Ivan Alpha.
1: Welcome back to From Pain to Game. I'm Ivan, and these are my besties and my wifey. You guys want to quickly mention your names?
2: Hey, I'm Jason Scott Montoya. Glad to be here sharing um, today once again.
0: Hey, I'm Dr. Stacey mobley Alfaro. I'm excited to be
1: here. Awesome. Today we're talking, why do we resist help? in this day and age of American stubbornness, I would call it, where I'm right and there's nobody else that could tell me I'm wrong. I think this is a very uh, specific topic we could speak to, especially with our experiences in life. So let me go ahead and just jump right in, jump into the acronym of complacency, atrophy, guilt, and escape, the CAGE uh, concept that I'll be eventually releasing a book on. So to start off with complacency, I get to speak to this from a personal a perspective because I was blind and you can't really get out of complacency when you're blind. And one example I had of that was in my speaking, I noticed as I got bigger and bigger audiences, I would, instead of being my natural kind of rambunctious self, I would speak like I'm regurgitating from a script. Be just, I got to try to get word for word from my, my speech writing I did and i got enough feedback over time luckily in toastmasters to say hey i haven't you're not a robot just take that back out of you you're not when we see you in your best self that's not you and so i've had many experiences like that and that's like complacent and i at some point i was not wanting to get that feedback anymore not wanting to resist that feedback i said i'm going to fix this i'm going to re- resolve this however however I can. And I ended up being, being a lot of therapy that actually helped a lot with that because it ended up being some, some deep rooted stuff that made me do that to become a robot. Uh, another form that, that uh, therapist came out to say was a, a dragon form Ivan, which had many layers of skin just kind of protecting me from being uh, hurt. So and, and, her- and
2: that What's protection it? did help you
1: in prior seasons of life, right? Oh, yeah. And which is why you develop it it to that in some ways, too. But when you think about complacency, what do you all think?
0: I feel that there's there's level of awarenesses that we all have in life or we wouldn't be human. Like we learn different things at different stages of our lives and we have a choice at each point in time in our lives to learn those choices. And that was your choice point right there. You could have decided to stay And a level of uh, what we would call ignorance, but there is um, a type of ignorance that isn't necessarily a bad ignorance. It's just there, meaning you don't know something yet. But once it's made, once there's a level of awareness or it's visible for you, it's up to you to decide whether you want to take that or not. And that's what happens with a lot of individuals in life in we kind of decide where we want to go from there. So I I don't see anything wrong with what happened to you and where you were in life. Cause like what Jason said, it helped you get to a certain point in your life, but then there was a point where it didn't serve you anymore. So when it's no longer serving you, that's where it becomes that level of of choice ignorance. I like to call it. Mm
3: Yeah,
2: I think the thing I would think uh, a couple of thoughts come to mind, but to, to kind of frame it, what I would say is to contrast complacency, the, a word that comes to mind is like the opposite of that would be vigilance. So if I'm being vigilant, then I'm not being complacent. And the reason I say that is because when I think about complacency, um, I think a lot of times we sort of slowly slide it. Well, we, when we are complacent, we slowly slide into um, worse and worse conditions that eventually lead to a certain negative outcome but that negative outcome is is it doesn't happen out of the blue it's it's a slow and steady process and so our complacency we might even notice that slide is happening that I'm not acting or I'm not saying something or I'm continuing something that I maybe shouldn't do but it's not too bad and so um, so that continues to, to progress. So in the, in the nature of like, okay, what does that have to do with asking for help or not asking for help? Um, I think that, you know, I can do something on my own. And then I think, oh, well, I, yeah, I did that thing, but, and it probably would have been better if I had help, you know, but I was able to do it by myself. So the next time I do it by myself and, and then maybe I do it four or five times and then, and then I end up like physically hurting myself because I try and do something myself instead of asking for help so that'd be kind of like a simple uh, ex- uh but that could also play out in terms of like someone's emotional um injuries as, as well as physical so does that make sense
1: yeah it also makes me think of how great my wife is too stacy you've shown me so many things being open to other people's advice uh, things that i was just blind to also just living in life and <laughs> there's even times where you're like how did previous people not tell you this
2: <laughs> well now I, I would add to that i think it's really important because i think um we are we are dependent human beings we are dependent animals and that dependency is not just like what we need like physically but also what we need from a from a discussion standpoint, like we don't see all things. We have blind spots. And so we need someone to share their point of view so that we can identify those blind spots. So there may be things I don't see that I may never see without the help of somebody else to say, Hey, that thing on your back that you'll never see it's there and you need to look at it because it's cancer and it's growing or what, you know, whatever it might be. So that dependency particularly in America um, is it's almost like an anti-cultural thing to say that I'm a dependent versus we want to be independent, right?
0: And I'll add two other points to what you just said, Jason. There's a level of codependency and Mm -hmm. interdependency that happens in dynamics and relationships, whether it's between a partner, a romantic partner, friends, or um, a familial relationship. And so it depends on what type of relationship or dynamic form within that relationship and how comfortable that person will be and speaking or, or saying some of those things to that other person. And it also comes back to how much that person trusts themselves as well, because if you are more in a codependent situation, you're nervous about what that person's going to think about you or
3: yeah.
0: how that's going to make them feel instead of maybe how can this be of support to that person. And yeah. then if it served its purpose and they no longer want you in their lives, at least, you know, yeah. you've said something that could have been supportive. And even, and I'll end with this point, so we can continue the conversation, but even the idea of support is subjective, right? What's supportive and what's not supportive feedback. So there's so many dynamics in this.
2: Yeah. Well, and I guess the other thing that comes to mind is like, based on that, like you said, the codependency, you know, a child is codependent on the mother, but it has to mm-hmm. outgrow that if it's to be healthy and thriving, right? So there's there's seasons of those things when it serves its purpose, like you said. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother discussion I could tag on to, but we'll leave it <laughs> for it is right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you mentioned a great transition, Stacey, uh, of sometimes it could be presented as not supportive, which kind of brings us into atrophy because it, it, the article I wanted to speak to on this section is specifically around trauma. And this is, I think, what could keep us in atrophy the most. So I'll go ahead and just read this quick little excerpt from an article. Let's see. The truth is that trauma is not just in your head. It leaves a real physical imprint on your body, jarring your memory storage processes and changing your brain. Untreated past trauma can have a big impact on your future health, The emotional and physical reactions it triggers can make you more prone to serious health conditions, including heart attacks, stroke, obesity, diabetes, and cancer, according to Harvard Medical School research. Additionally, the risk of developing mental and physical health problems increases with the number of traumatic events you've experienced. For example, your risk for problems is much higher if you've had three or more negative experiences called adverse childhood experiences or ACEs says Harvard research scientist Andrea Roberts. From outward experiences, a trauma survivor may look whole and healthy, but trauma can fester like an invisible wound, weakening the body's defenses until it manifests in the form of an illness. And Dr. Stacy, you got to definitely start on this one.
0: Well, first of all, thank you for bringing up that article because that's so important and really really helping people to see trauma from from a more non-biased lens, because we all have some level of trauma. I don't think any human is is without any level of trauma, but it goes back to partially what Jason mentioned, that parental dynamic, whether it's biological or non-biological family members or friends, that whole community and network will really help to determine how that person responds versus reacts. the trauma that they're placed in so if the trauma happens within their household that's a whole different you know dynamic than if the trauma is happening in the world like say for for the type of trauma that i could say that i um more so experienced and was a part of in terms of just being a woman and being a black woman or african-american if you guys Mm -hmm. want to call me that on top of it there's so many layers for each and every one of us and the difference between how trauma affects our lives is to how we choose to respond versus react to it. Yeah. We can go deeper into that later.
1: And I, yeah. like I mentioned, sorry, one second. I should have did this at the intro, but Stacy has treated fifteen thousand people, patients. So just wanted to mention what
2: that type of question. treatment to clarify.
0: Oh, a variety. So it could have been um, more what you guys consider allopathic. So the general route of chronic illnesses, but I always realized that chronic illnesses stem from things like this, how the nervous system was responding or, or what type of um, non-supplement, non-pharmaceutical pathway led them to need those pharmaceuticals or supplements or more integrative, I like to call it, or common sense medicine. Yeah. Uh, so
2: So often people are having some sort of trauma that, that manifests physically over time.
0: Exactly. I always say the physical, the physical elements are the last manifestation. Mm-hmm. Of anything. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So the, an interesting uh, kind of story to uh, talk about the trauma pieces. So I, uh, I hatcheted my knee in 2004 on accident <laughs> and uh, I ended up cutting right into the bone and the skin opened up and it was all gross, but um, I won't tell the whole story now, but but the thing I'll tell is uh, so I ended up getting 40 stitches, five layers. I missed everything important, thank God. Um, but I ended up getting uh, these 40 stitches and they were self dissolving. And so I went through that recovered. But there was one part of the wound that just would not heal. Mm-hmm. And about 10 years after the incident, <laughs> I noticed something like where the art wasn't healing. I noticed something like just below the top of the skin. And so um, it was kind of black. So Mm -hmm. as I was looking at it, it kind of opened up and I got some tweezers and I grabbed it. And what had happened is one of the stitches never dissolved. And so it was still in there just messing things up. And as soon as I took it out, I cut it, pulled out the wound, the top of the wound healed. And so I think that's a really good uh, overlay to, Um, to that idea of like trauma, if you don't deal with it, it's gonna fester and it will never let you heal. It'll it'll almost be like a torture, um, and it could last ten years as it did in my case. So,
0: (laughs) or a lifetime. I love how you tied that in so that they can have a visual picture of what that could look like over time Mm -hmm. and how they choose because it it depends on the skill set. It depends on the structure in place because. Mm -hmm. In your follow-up appointment, hopefully there was a follow-up appointment, Jason, they should have been (laughs) taking a look at that. And, you know, again, we're all human, but the quality and type of support that we get in the process also matters, right? When we think about therapists or the different type of support that you need, because sometimes we, we we're so quick to label things like depression, anxiety, all of these things, but depression is the biggest one, um, when really there could be a biochemical aspect to it, which, Sometimes they say it is, it could be more so um, something that is a normal emotion that that person needs to move through. And we're not taught how to move through emotions anymore. We're taught to stuff them down and hide them and pretend like everything's mm-hmm. okay. When all of us human beings can feel that it's not. Yeah.
2: Well, and I, and I, I think the other okay. thing I would yeah add to that is our feelings, how we feel. They're, they're kind of raw in a sense, but we very quickly associate them with things or with mm-hmm. emotions. And, um, and I think sometimes we have to disconnect those and let the feeling be the feeling and the emotion be the emotion. And then sometimes if, and then intentionally sort of orchestrate those, and I'll give you an example of something I read uh, or watched recently. Um, the feeling that we have when we're excited is actually very similar to the feeling we have when we're anxious. hmm it's all about how we frame it. So you're excited to get on the roller coaster, but you're anxious about whether someone's going to fire you from your job or something, you know, so, but that feeling is the same. And so it's an interesting uh, dynamic, but I think that the more we can kind of get in tune with our feelings, what those are, and, and also recognize that we have attached them to different things that maybe for seasons that helped us, but um, in other seasons, uh, attaching those feelings to certain emotions or actions that we would respond may actually be more harmful than helpful.
0: I love that you separated those two because it is so true because sometimes I'll, I'll add that sometimes you need to ask whose feeling is this? Because sometimes it's not even a feeling that's really truly attached to you yourself. Like for example, I, um, doing my clinical rounds, we had to go into the, the center, the medical center all the time. Like we basically live there I might as well have slept there because um, it's like you go there you go home you go right back there and I was extremely happy and excited one day and I walked into the building and immediately got angry mm. and I was just like this is not mine like I had no reason to be angry no reason to have mm-hmm. any of that and, I, and when I said angry I meant not just feeling that I felt it in my body and my emotions In my psyche, I just felt this rage. Like I can just go punch a wall. And I really had to realize and decide like that was not my feeling. And I was going to choose to let that go in the name of Jesus. Because we have to realize that everything we feel is not ours as well. From depression, anxiety, to suicide. That is a whole nother conversation.
2: Yeah. And the other thing I would add to that is, I guess, in addition to feelings that are not my own, are also feelings that are what I would call legacy feelings. So I, um, something I might experience now might trigger a feeling from 10 years ago Mm -hmm. and I never dealt with that thing. And so now there's like a pocket, you know, (laughs) that sort of opening. And so I'm feeling this thing, but it's, it's disconnected from it. And Mm -hmm. so I'm having to go, okay, is that really like kind of what you're saying, but just in a different way? Like, is that really what I'm, um, feeling about this thing or this situation, or is this the emotion appropriate for that? Um, or is it just a legacy feeling? So, I've ha- I've done I've gone through a lot of legacy feeling uh, auditing, and so I've, that's something I'm more experienced with myself. So,
0: uh, let's talk about generational feeling. Yeah, generational. On top would be another of that, one. Yeah, whole another
1: episode, babe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so many layers. <laughs>
2: yeah, things we inherit. I know with my family, when I uh, did some interviewing of different family members, I discovered that. There was a lot of control and compliance in our family lineage mm-hmm. and when they told me that and i saw it in them and then i saw it in myself as a mirror like oh i have that too and now but now i could it was like a blind spot that i could now see through the family as a mirror and so if we actually lean into that it can be hugely helpful but but it is really scary and it's um difficult and, and not easy work so
0: and it's beautiful work because then once you become the level of awareness that you have, you, you begin to, you step into a state of choice. Let me put it mm-hmm. that way. And then it becomes your choice. That's such a beautiful point in life when it's no longer something you subconsciously or um, through compliance or through obedience or through manipulation,
3: mm-hmm.
0: continuing to, to bring generation to generation, but now you're choosing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because could, that could be the complacency, right? Is or maybe even the next letter, which would be atrophy, which is, I I am this way. I'll just accept it and not do anything about it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: That's another reason why I absolutely love you, states, is that you uh, don't allow influence of others per se to determine how you live. Like I've been with so many people, even friends, that just kind of collapse to my influence and in whatever I've done but you're like, no, I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to live my own decisions. So that's awesome. But I wanted to draw all the points you just mentioned into kind of a personal experience too. Uh, and I'll start off by saying, uh, I read somewhere that the, the brain cannot differentiate physical from emotional pain,
3: mm-hmm.
1: particularly the feeling of rejection, which is subjective because rejection could be healthily or unhealthily intake, uh, intaken, if that's a word, <laughs> but what, Jason, your story really was amazing um, and connected w- with me on was, uh, like you said, it's a uh, torture. But you also have to decide to get out of that torture, right? For you physically, you had to pull the stitch out. You had to s- decide to pull the stitch out. And I could draw an uh, equivalent my story. One of my therapy sessions was really intense. Um, I-, I allowed myself for the first time to feel healthy anger. And I had seen that go in awful ways, and I've seen primarily the unhealthy uh, disbursement of anger, particularly growing up. So I didn't allow myself to feel it in a healthy way. During that therapy session, I was able to pull it out. And uh, I guess that's one of the many subjects in this this session is... uh, yeah.
2: Well, I'll, I'll. Yeah, two things I'll throw out there. First is James one nineteen through twenty, which is essentially mm-hmm. a, everyone should be quick to listen, so to speak, and slow to become angry. He doesn't say don't be angry, mm-hmm. and so um, and he says slow to anger because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So, so there's something about that, and I think the way that I understand God is that he um, he's essentially leaving that as the last resort. Right. And so sometimes that last resort is appropriate. (laughs) Um, And then the other thing is a quote um, from Jennifer Garvey Berger about the social pain that you described. So this is the thing you probably saw was the research from what Matthew Lieberman. So he found that social pain from the biggies like heartbreak and rejection to the more daily pain of thinking people don't like you or that you're being left out is experienced in the brain in exactly the same way physical pain is experienced you can see why our aversion to social pain would push us towards a sort of false agreement if we feared being rejected in some way. And so that's kind of the, the quote there. Um, and there's a lot of applications. I, I immediately think of social media that like how much we're like socially media um, pain, pain, painifying each other, shooting each other with darts, as Jonathan Haidt says, we're not killing each other, but we're certainly shooting each other and hurting each other in public forums in ways that we probably wouldn't do privately or we would maybe do differently. And so, um, but yeah. it is, it is very painful and emotionally taxing um, to go through some of those types of experiences online. If, if, as I have, as I don't, I imagine others have as well.
1: Yeah. And this brings in another natural transition to guilt. When you're talking about social rejection with no so- social preparation, uh, you could see it day to day people cut each other off, forget cars just shopping carts just about to run you over. We don't have social etiquette training at all in schools. I think that's something I really like to drive for. but when you're in the world, let's let's say in the context of a man, me growing up you know I wanted to learn how to get into relationship but the first kind of course material I got kind of doing the online, dating training courses was uh, really about how to pick up women and you know most of them had to do with how to obviously get them in bed but inherently that's going to lead to rejection not only of the lady but yourself because that's not a, really a viable way to live that's kind of a insecurity based way to live that your your identity is based on sex and quantity and volume of sex but that is celebrated in our culture and it's uh, pretty toxic So uh, that brings me to the natural next point I wanted to talk about in terms of guilt, because I thought about what's the key part of our society that's really easy to feel guilty about. And I just went naturally to sexual addiction. And I know this is a big, broad stroke from the other topics, but think about it. Sexual addiction, as opposed to like drug or alcohol addiction, you could be an alcoholic in recovery, a drug addict in recovery. And people will applaud you, celebrate you, and just say you're a great person. However, sexual addiction, in its many forms, realistically, you're going to be called a pervert. You're going to be called whatever names. You're going to be looked down upon somebody that doesn't really know the full picture and what got you there. And I think that's a big part of our society, particularly with all the studies we hear on on how this addiction is unraveling. So what are your thoughts on that and maybe other perspectives on guilt on this very topic?
0: I just wanted to hop in really quickly on a point you made right before that, because when I think of the idea of rejection, the idea of guilt, shame, all of those so-called negative feelings is what we're basing our identity in. And that's what I was going to hop in and say. And then you started to go down that route. And I was like, yes, that's what matters because I mean, surprise, everybody goes through rejection, feeling a a level of guilt, a level of shame. It just depends on what level it is in their lives. But the the pivotal point is how they allow it to define them. And if they allow it to define them, and what value is it placed in their life? And that's the big difference in what route they take because of the rejection, the guilt, the shame that will take place in every human that watches this show and has taken place in every human that has ever lived on the earth's life. So I wanted to add that little twinge there. So the fact that whoever's listening to this, the fact that rejection is happening to you, the fact that you may feel guilty and shame about something that may or may not even be yours to feel guilty and shame around that you get to decide how that molds you and how that defines you. And if you want that to define you, it's all your choice. So start to dig there.
2: Yeah. So I think about um, yeah, when I think about shame and I and guilt, like guilt leads to shame. Like I feel guilty, so then I start to feel ashamed. And and, and particularly the shame tends to have a judgment attached to it. And that may sometimes it may be appropriate or not, it just depends on the situation. But um I, I may I may ought to feel shame <laughs> depending on what I've done but there is a shame hole. I kind of imagine like a hole that I'm stuck in and that we have to have a mechanism to get out of the hole. And so for me, and to your point about the identity, um, for me, it was, okay, recognizing that, hey, well, first of all, I actually kind of like hanging out in the hole. So I have to reconcile that. Um, The shame hole is nice. And part of the shame hole is nice is because now it gives me a reason to do the thing I did that made me feel guilty all over again. (laughs) So it's like a cycle um, or I just feel bad and I want to try and not feel bad. So then I do the thing again to, that I thought um, would help me cope. And uh, but so back to the identity thing for me, it was a matter of recognizing that, hey, okay, I do have an, I, I don't have to stay in this hole. Um, I don't have to want to be in this hole. And I have a, a, I have a ladder out of it. And for me, that was recognizing that in my relationship with Christ, he had already conquered and overcome Shame. He took the shame on himself. Um, he took my shame on himself. And and so I no longer have that shame. And so I can walk out of the hole. And that's the ladder for me. And so when I recognized that, like in a very personal way, oh, it, it actually kind of broke the cycle that I was in of the guilt and the shame and, and then the sin and the guilt and the shame and the sin and the guilt and the shame and the sin. And, and it's not that I didn't fall back in the hole. Maybe I did, but it's like, I fell in the hole and I just got out. And then, and then I started to fall in the hole less often. So does that make sense?
0: It oh, makes sure. complete sense, Jason. And, and, and you brought up a great point that I wanted to highlight in that recovery is a process. Yeah. A recovery from anything, addiction or for me, ice cream, you know, anything, anything <laughs> yeah. that you you want to change is a process. So beating yourself up or falling in that guilt and shame hole again, because you fell in the mm-hmm. hole again, is not going to be helpful. It's not helpful yeah. because that's a natural part of the process.
2: Yeah, and I think the thing that comes to my mind is just, um, at least for me and understanding where my relationship with God, how it works, I think there are some people out there that think, well, if I have sinned and I must um, pay for my sin, right? So, um, so there is a, quite a conundrum there to how do you, how do you reconcile shame in, for someone that, that does that? Because that does drive them to be better but how does that uh, actually help them deal with their trauma um, and the, or things that they've trauma, they've dealt, um, given to other people in their past.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: um, so it's, it's a difficult thing. And when people want help, they can feel guilty about asking for help. Maybe they've been made to feel guilty for asking for help um, or maybe they felt shame when they asked for help. Like, Oh, what kind of person are you that you asked for help? You know? So um. So that shame can come from our own choices, our own like addictions or sin, but it can also be pushed on us by a parent or a friend or a spouse or whoever. And like you were saying earlier, like that, that force um, that, that may, it may not be ours um, that's driving it, but it's someone that's, you know, if a parent that you uh, look up to says you're, you should be ashamed and, and maybe they're wrong, you shouldn't then all of a sudden you get confusion and that creates more problems which have to be untangled in some kind of uh, counseling or therapy session or community.
0: And, and community and therapy and, (laughs) and, and and. because if you don't change the environment or the background, right? Because the therapist is just one other perspective, a human perspective. Like you have to really change the environment to really understand a new, I hate the word, uh, I hate the phrase new normal, but um, a a different experience. Let's put it that way. Because I'm like, how will you know if you don't have those different experiences of what life can look like? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I really believe uh, contrast is a vital piece of how we learn and grow, which is Mm -hmm. you experience this one way and then you experience another. You experience joy and sadness and and now you have a better understanding of both because of that. Um, But if you only have sadness and brokenness and despair. Like I would imagine someone like that may not think there is anything else to experience and that is life. And so then it kind of leads down to a dark uh, mental road.
0: Exactly. The same with aging. Cause I remember traveling really helped me a lot to really get that contrast in life. And I remember traveling to Scandinavia at some point. And in America, aging is just like, you get old, you can't walk, you know, your skin gets all wrinkly and then you just retire and you sit in your chair and you watch reruns. And really that, that doesn't have to be what aging is about, or you have a chronic illnesses, it's just the way it's going to be because of your age. But then I started to travel to these different countries and see people who are like 75 years old, like laughing and playing like they're teenagers, riding the bikes around. And the only way that you can feel their age is because of their gray hair.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but then
0: I begin to see, like, there's a contrast. Like, we get to decide what each stage of our life is going to look like, no matter how it's presented to us, as long as we start to get that contrast over time and understand where our identity comes from for us on this call is through Christ, right?
2: Yeah, so, well, and the thing I, that comes to my mind is, like, what does it mean to be a flourishing, joyful, loving uh, old old person or a grandfather or grandfather? mother you know like having a vision of what that ought to be right versus just accepting uh the reality of whatever we've been handed right and And you essentially were given a real life vision of what it could be
0: yeah and we we all feel like we have to go with the flow of what we see because like you said it's all we've seen
1: Mm -hmm. yeah y'all are dropping so many gems
2: Hopefully we can pick them up later or we're going to be broke. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to just copy and paste all that and put it in my book. My book. <laughs> uh-huh,
3: uh-huh.
2: It'll be all right. Here's a bunch of sections from Jason and Stacey. <laughs>
3: uh-huh.
1: So wrap that, that kind of awesome section up. There's three last kind of points I wanted to speak to on, on the I'll umbrella this with something great. My pastor said, uh, our pastor said, he said that this sort of stuff takes time, right? And Stacey, you've mentioned that. And it was a great thing, I think, that gave a lot of folks relief, because it, it's not always going to be a per se immediate healing like Jesus did, which happens day to day in different contexts. But you may not know what God has in store for you by making this uh, kind of drawn out thing and the beauty that could be in that being a drawn out thing. And so the last three points in that would be number one, the grip of the enemy. Uh, if we're just constantly living in shame, like y'all mentioned, that's like a, a chain and we're just allowing that chain to just keep holding onto us forever. Uh, number two, the sin is covered for eternity uh, and, and Jesus, uh, right? If that so happened to be your belief, uh, it's not, how some Christians think about it, like, oh, I, I confessed, but I sinned again. Oh man, I'm so ashamed. I'm going to, you know, I just forever, just, I'm just living in pain. I can't ever overcome this Not This God lives outside of time. He's got you covered on this. Uh, so that naturally inclines a, a gratitude in you instead of living in guilt and uh, oh, <laughs> this atrocious person you, you live in. Oh man.
2: Victory. Freedom in
1: in Jesus now. And then the last point is
2: which is the story of the Apostle Paul. He was the baddest of the bad. And he even says it when he's Paul, when he becomes from Saul to Paul. He says, I'm the I was the worst of sinners, and yet God's grace still covered me, so it'll cover you too. (laughs)
1: Yeah. He murdered all sorts of people. Heck, I I murdered two people this morning.
0: (laughs) He said not for the recording. Um, Ivan, I wanted to highlight something you just really said that I think is really important, just needs to be highlighted, um, choosing to go from guilt to gratitude. Every moment they feel that guilt, they can choose to be in gratitude, that they're aware of it, that they're working on it, that they have support, therapy, whatnot, accountability, community that's helping them to move forward and then they can choose to continue to move forward through Christ. That's a lot to be grateful for.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. As opposed to willpower. Yeah. It could be a lot worse. Yeah. And then the last point of this is we get frustrated when we fall into the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Right. But something, a great friend of mine used to be a pastor, Lee Jensen. He said, um, you know, when you think about a parent and the kid that's just learning how to walk, you think a healthy parent would be looking at that kid saying, how dare you fall again? Who do you think you are? No, a a good, healthy parent would say, get back up again. Let's just try again. You're going to do great the next time. And that's kind of a great analogy to how God works with us. He knows the ultimate last time we will fall, but he's also egging us on to keep on pushing forward, to calling us higher, right? As one song says, and with that, I'll go ahead and transition to the last part.
2: So, I would like to read a poem. If you're all right with that, before you do that, Um, I don't really like poetry. It's I'm more intellectual and not, but this poem was one that I connected with. But I think it covers a lot of interesting things you said. So, it's by Portia Nelson, and um, so I'm just going to read it. There's five sections. It's pretty short, so. Uh, Section one, I walk down the street, there is a deep hole in the sidewalk, I fall in, I am lost, I am helpless, it isn't my fault, it takes forever to find a way out. I walk down the same street, there is a deep hole in the sidewalk, I pretend I don't see it, I fall in again, I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault, it still takes a long time to get out. Three, I walk down the street, the same street, there is a deep hole in the sidewalk, I see it's there, I still fall in, it's habit, my eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Four, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Five, I walk down another street.
3: Mm.
1: There we go. And hopefully, there's not a detour sign saying you can't go down this street. <laughs>
2: So that was just something that connected like, hey, you know, that's kind of the story that we, uh,
3: mm-hmm.
2: we, are, we are on. And yeah. I, for me, understanding, like, the, to know what to expect is super helpful.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, if someone can come ahead and say, hey, this is how the journey of recovery looks like, um, it'll be uh, long and difficult and, and you're going to fail a lot. But there will be a point where it, it's dramatically different. Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I love the first part of the poem too where she really it's funny she expected that she would know everything about how to get out the whole person in the beginning and in reality that's not true for us Um, for most (laughs) of us we wouldn't be in the situations we're in so opening up to support and shifting that ego because it's okay to have ego I think we need it is to shift it to I have confidence that I will get to the part five or four of the poem not so much that I should know how to get out of this hole that I didn't even know was here.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a difference between, uh, blaming, like it's not my fault versus taking responsibility regardless of whether it is your fault or not. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. There's so much there.
2: So anyway, you can continue to the next section. I would love to derail you once again.
1: There were so many things just popped up there, but yeah, I got (laughs) to continue this thing, (laughs) the escape portion. So to kind of bring it back to the beginning, the only thing that made me personally want to fix the speaking, the way I spoke, especially to strangers and bigger and bigger amounts of strangers was the pain of not being effective. And I knew I have my mission to uh, fix the affordable housing crisis at scale. That involves public public speaking at scale, being effective as a public speaker, and just learning how to communicate in general. It's been yeah. a great attribute, especially for my marriage. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I guess to escape, I would encourage you to align it with whatever you want to do with your life. It may not be a real estate investor. You may be, have a passion for being a piano teacher, but figure out a way to align whatever you're trying to overcome uh, or your resistance to therapy, to help, to whatever, to stubbornness, uh, try to align it with, is this truly who I am as a person? And will it allow me to be the the blossoming flower of a person that I know I am?
3: Mm -hmm.
1: What do y'all think about your uh, suggestions on the way to escape this this thought process of uh, why do we resist help?
0: I would say don't force correct on your journey based on your comfort level. Because your comfort level is, is there to protect you in some capacity, but that doesn't need to be your guidepost to where you're going on your journey. Kind of alluded to what you just talked about. Cause for example, I am a massive introvert. I cannot see people for days and be completely fine. Like I hate that a pandemic happened, but when it happened, I was like, oh, relief. But then after a while I got bored. You know, um, but, um, you know, Ivan was around and Ivan's completely opposite. Like he loves people. He's an extrovert. And so even finding that balance within my relationship, not to mention just in life and what my career goals are, I really had to course correct, not based on what felt comfortable for me as an introvert. And I had to really start to acquire skills of really going out, being visible, to not feel drained at the same time and understand that it's really not about me. And just because it's not about me doesn't mean I don't pay attention to how I feel and what I need to do to rejuvenate myself, but really understanding the bigger purpose and why we're here on earth and what our real job is here to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And there's a, there's a sense of destiny, like of our life um, uh, or another way to think of it is like, what does it look like for for uh, our society to flourish and what does it look like for me as a human to flourish inside that. And I can pursue my self-interest, which gets me what I want, but at the cost of someone else or a society, or I can pursue what's good for me and what's good for society at the same time. And that's where we find um, that, uh, that's where we move into um, a purpose-driven life. That is, uh, that is good and um and contributes to the goods of our lives our families' lives our community our society and so on and so forth and, it, and if at any point in the journey we recognize that something we're doing whether knowingly or unknowingly is exploiting an individual or a group then we need to take that seriously mm-hmm. and 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 rectify it so that those people can then be brought into the larger flourishing uh society does that make sense
0: Makes complete sense. I love how you do the ends because we always feel like we have to do the oars. Yeah. And I'm a big proponent for the ends. Like we yeah. don't have to sacrifice this and be um, the hustle mentality, run yourself mm-hmm. into the ground to have what you want. Sometimes it has to happen so we can learn our lesson. Yeah. But the, but the point is not to stay there. Like you can have mm-hmm. an end.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. We need to grow out of that. Otherwise we start to destroy ourselves and others. And, 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 you know, that's the hard, the hard tension in a large society like ours with 360 million people or whatever. It's, it's a difficult challenge to overcome.
0: Yeah. So none of us are special snowflakes. Not that I know <laughs> of, I haven't met any. So we all go through a version of that being disobedient to what our call is in life and what yeah. it looks like to maneuver and work through that to get to a point where we're like, okay, I give up. We're, I'm yeah. going to do it for me. Jesus, God, I'm going to do what you originally yeah,
2: asked yeah. me to do. Yeah, my way's not working. Maybe I should try yours. <laughs>
0: yeah, like nobody's immune from that Hard. <laughs> I haven't met anyone.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've been down that
1: road. So. Reality
2: uh, always strikes back. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, I was, uh, I did like, I don't know, probably like 25Ks in a matter of two years from maybe 2014 to 2017 and to wrap it up i did a uh, a marathon and at the mile 17 my uh my foot i came to find out was fractured a uh, ligament mm. fracture ouch and although my entire body essentially felt like it was pummeled to a pulp by some wwe wrestler like the rock or something <laughs> later in the day i realized this is awesome. I finally hit a wall. Now I could move on to whatever else I want to do with my life. And, you know, I, I did okay on the other 5Ks. I did okay. Everything else, it, it was okay. Like, I didn't want to win first place or anything. It was just a thing. But that kind of wall was exciting, right? Just as opposed to doing the same thing over and over, being okay at the end of the day. Like, I got my body so entrenched in this thing, even though I didn't finish it, my body is on another, another level, probably than, I don't know, 80% of the population doesn't want to do marathons. Yeah.
0: I'm probably that 80%. But
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, but I-, I, th- I th- It's pain to gain, right? It's-
2: yeah. Well, I think the thing is, is, it's a matter of, like, finding our place in the larger story that's unfolding- and, and um, you know, I think in our society as chaotic and unclear and confusing as it can be, it, it can be hard to figure out, you know, where that place is. What's my place in that larger story? Um, and I so it's,
1: in, it's about not resisting that. Not only help from others, but help from yourself of telling you. Yeah, yeah. And move on.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Because I think if we ask other people, there's a lot, there's insight in there that, that we get that we may... Be missing in our explore and figuring that answer
0: out. Yeah, and on that note, I will say that there's a difference between insight feedback and just somebody's opinion too. And yeah. so you have to learn for yourself how to filter those, or you're gonna be like running around like a chameleon, yeah. changing every week because of what somebody is yeah. oh, saying. Yeah. And mm-hmm. So that goes back to understanding your identity, anchoring in, and understanding your identity will grow and mold. I call it most people say new year new new you i just say you're chipping away at all the mask and all the
3: yeah.
0: look that's been layered over time getting back to whoever the original you
2: is yeah, and a, a better version of that right yeah or a time. less naive version
0: yeah every time and so i wanted to mention a part about the marathon that i've been mentioned that i think is a really great um segue into this it's just really understand that there's also a season of preparation at times and, and preparing to, to make a change and whatever that looks like, however you're led to do that, is also a very active thing. So a lot of times we feel like we're not doing something. Doing something means moving and doing something all of the time. And that's not always the case. Sometimes there is a, a season of reflection and, and yeah. a space to really look within. And that is the most active thing that you could do. I would say, versus running around like a chicken with your head cut off, like trying to do yeah. all these different things that make you look a certain way. Like this is what a millionaire does or this is what mm-hmm. a successful business owner does. This is what a good daughter looks like. This is what a good husband looks like. Um, that will, that will yeah. take you down a route that will lead you to a level of conformity that's not really yours.
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think when we get advice from people it's best to understand what our finish line is and what their finish line is. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Because if they're saying, if they are like, Hey, let's go to Florida and then you're going to California and they give you advice on how to go to Florida. It really, it's like the opposite direction, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, that's the thing that comes to my mind is just make sure you have a line vision um, with the people that, uh, that you're talking with and, and taking their advice because and, and some people may have a shared like, hey, we're going to the West Coast, right? So that feedback is helpful. But as you get closer to California, if they're actually like saying to go to Washington, then you, there will be a divergence. And so I think understanding those dynamics is super helpful when we're taking and asking for advice. Yeah, so
0: this is where since we, all you've read a Bible verse, Jason. So I'll go ahead and mention this. This is where I feel like it's so important to really start to build your relationship with Jesus and also the Holy Spirit, because that's where your discernment will start to come from. That's when you start to pray and have that personal relationship versus just that, that collective congregational type relationship with Mm -hmm. God. And the more refined that gets, and there's no perfect way to do that again, um, the more you're able to discern and understand without always need to say something to the person other than thank you. Uh, thank you for your feedback. But yeah. you'll be able to discern and understand, you know, where you want to move in the midst of whatever identity and ideals already been laid out foundationally overall.
2: Yeah. And with that, I will add one other note to your <laughs> point, which is as a helper, as someone who helps someone else, um, from that point of view, how we respond to this person that offers to help us is, is, is super important. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage, and um, if it's appropriate to decline the help, then to do that respectfully and gratefully. Uh, but if someone does offer to help and you do accept that help to do it enthusiastically, like, wow, thank you, I would really love your help um, versus either resisting it or being apathetic about it. Um, as a helper, um, I get energized when it, someone is excited to receive my help. That makes sense.
0: Mm, it makes complete sense.
1: Yeah.
0: It makes complete sense.
1: So. Yeah. That's probably why I was able to get so many cool mentors. Cause I, I guess to some degree I was excited about learning from them, even if they weren't even in my industry or. Yeah. Yeah. No alignment. Yeah, if eventually there was something that they taught me.
2: Yeah. That's a good point. I not thought about it in that way, but, um, but yeah, that would be uh, that would be uh, e- encouraging, uh,
1: energizing. You know what? Uh, oh, oh, okay, I was going to say the part that grieves me in terms of uh, receiving or giving feedback is that it's not always going to be the people you want it to be or expect it to be. And I've noticed that in my own life. And even you could tie it into the Bible. I think I even recently heard a podcast about this. Jesus gave his, uh, his inheritance, his knowledge to very certain people. And I think even John was kind of, I guess, the beloved. So to some degree of priority there. So it wasn't actually even his own brother, uh, right? Uh, or brothers. Uh, so there has to be a enthusiasm, like you're talking about, Jason, to receive on the person receiving it. In that case, it was Jesus and uh, John. Yeah in terms of prioritization level but there's also some grief that's healthy to receive like hey it may not be who you want it to be that you're giving knowledge to or giving help to or receiving help from to. Mm -hmm. go ahead yeah
0: oh i forgot that's okay okay. that was great oh and i do have a new point um, about what you just said and and it's just but the difference between I, I can't think of the exact words so I would just say it and it sounds like mumbo jumbo. You guys let me know. But like really understanding roles, the role that a person plays in your life, and not trying to force a role hmm. on that person in your life, is hmm. a big difference too.
2: Like what would be, what do you mean by that? Like,
0: I, I know there's example. so many ways I can go with that, Jason. So um, let's see. One example could be. I don't want to bring up the heated husband wife dynamics. I'm trying to think of another one. Um,
2: (laughs) Oh, maybe here's an example. Like, uh, once a parent leaves home, like the dynamic between the parent and the child probably shifts to more of like almost like friends or like, or maybe like mentor or mentee. I I don't know.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Yes. And just even the roles throughout the lifespan of the person or people involved. And so the parental role and how. Um, if someone has a title, like for example, parent, father or mother, and then they're not at a maturity level to really understand what that looks like, even though it's messy for everyone, then you can't force that role on them per se. You just have to kind of take it for what it is after a certain point. And then, um, well, I think that's
2: the difference between parenting and, and adults interfacing with each other and and perhaps the old and the new Testament in the sense that the old Testament was law and order right and in sort of mm-hmm. enforcing um but jesus was like there's a there's also a limit to what that can do and so i've got to come and show another way and um, provide another pathway and and when we're dealing with other adults um that jesus way is is often the way that's necessary because law and order is probably going to just drive people away in a lot of cases i mean you, we need it as a society but but in terms of actually changing hearts
0: Yeah, like that's a God job, and so like that's not our job. We can't change hearts. So that we can pray for them, we can um, keep how we respond to them and react to them in a certain dynamic. But it's not our role because if we try to take on that role, that's gonna exhaust us yeah,
2: um, yeah. Play, playing so, god is not easy <laughs> no and
0: a lot of christians i feel fall and we're not even talking about that in the show we'll fall into that dynamic you not understanding like the difference between playing god and then um being in his image
2: yeah and that's kind of what god says to job at the end is hey if i hand you the kings to to the universe how well do you think you would handle that <laughs> so we don't know what we don't know
1: all right well ivan you want to wrap us up let's do it i just gave up on taking notes at some point (laughs) (laughs) he's just there was like 20 gems per section so you guys just got to go through it the listener the watcher and take the gold that was immensely sitting in this video but before wrap up could you just give us a little gander at grogu over there could you just come on set? Could you just hold them to the screen, please? So... Your precious baby boy. This is
2: our sixth child. <laughs> baby Grogu. Um, he's new to the family, but he's got special abilities, so I like to keep him around.
1: How do your actual five children feel about that?
2: <laughs> uh, they don't know. <laughs> oh, oh. No, they, they do. <laughs> Sometimes Zoe will take him in. And
0: uh, for those who did house. not know, that was the name you're not alone i didn't either <laughs> Hi.
2: This, is, this is uh this is uh from the star wars show the mandalorian mr Go- little baby gogu he's actually it. older than me he's just oh. little <laughs> he ages low
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right and on that note i just wanted to say thank you dr stacy Moby Alfaro. thank you jason montoya The hills and valleys, as your your last name is called. And uh, I hope y'all have a blessed day. This was an amazing episode. Thanks again.
0: Thanks for having me on. Bye,
1: guys.
0: Adios. Episode sponsored by Commonwalk, a real estate company dedicated to affordable housing investment. To learn more,
3: visit commonwalk.com.